0: The Fake Show is brought to you by Threads of Envy, the law firm of Hutchison and Steffen, the Craft House Brewery, the Tone Factory Recording Studio, Moonshot.com T-shirt designs, and by Mister Antenna. Now, your host, Jim Tofty.
1: Legendary broadcaster Bob Costas has won 29 Emmy Awards, more than any sports broadcaster, and he is the only person ever to have won Emmys in news, sports, and entertainment. His peers have named him the National Sportscaster of the Year, a record eight times, and in 2012 he was elected to the National Sportscasters and Sports Writers Hall of Fame. Bob returns this week to host season two of Back on the Record with Bob Costas on HBO. I've got the great Bob Costas on the line right now. Hi, Jim. Bob, how are you, sir? Welcome to the show, and uh, thank I have- you. I have to say, I was a huge fan of Later with Bob Costas because of the, oh, the just the outstanding guests you had. I remember Robert Altman, Paul Simon, even Chuck Connors.
0: Chuck Connors, I had never met him before that time. Yeah, but he, The Rifleman, was always my favorite western, and he and I became big friends after that. Went to dinner a number of times. He came to St. Louis and did a charity event. Really, for me, it's mm-hmm. just interesting how paths cross and relationships created and one of my few regrets in my broadcasting career is that I didn't stay longer with later there was a whole lot of stuff going on NBC had the Olympics and I was the host of that the NBA and the Michael Jordan era baseball the NFL and I was commuting between st. Louis and New York and something had to come off the plate Uh, and I decided it would be later because was a lot of preparation that four shows a week but I could have continued with that for another five or six years, and the reaction that people still have to it because it has a, a new life now on YouTube, yeah, reminds me that uh, you know it was pretty good, and I certainly enjoyed doing
1: it. It sure was. I looked forward to it because you always seem to bring out the best in people, and you uh, also you know have uh, crossed paths many times with the late great Vin Scully, who uh, I think I first saw do the game of the week because I'm not. From the L.A. area, so wasn't, you know, watching Dodgers games. It had to feel good for you to hear that Vin said you were a great sportscaster, if not the best.
0: Vin was so kind to me. He was a gracious man. Um, But to receive praise or affirmation from the best of the best, what more could you ever ask for? Happily for me, um, in the last 20 years of his life, Vin and I became good friends. Uh, he and his wife, Sandy, invited me and my wife, Jill, uh, to the White House when he received the Presidential Medal of Freedom in 2016 from President Obama. Wow! Um, you know, Ben and I were in, in touch. We, we talked now and then on the phone uh, over the years. He was just a wonderfully gracious man as well as... The greatest baseball broadcaster who ever lived.
1: Yeah, you know, I was lucky enough to go up to the the press box and the beautiful studio at Dodger Stadium and and meet him. Almost alarming at what a nice guy he was, because he was certain oh, yeah. certainly had reached legendary status.
0: And you know, there's something to being able to maintain. Look, he's an honestly on, was an honestly friendly and kind and gracious man. But everybody wanted to tell. Him what he had meant to their lives, and in many cases to their parents' lives and their grandparents' lives. So no matter how kind and sincere it is, he'd heard it a thousand times or more. But every time he made each person feel like that was the first time, that each person was as important to him as the President of the United States or the MVP of the National League, that was That was an aspect of his personality that was really endearing and admirable.
1: Incredible. Uh, Your HBO interview with Vince McMahon, that has, uh, you know, it's got a life of its own, I think. It was amazing because you had to ask him difficult questions about the WWE and other things, and you didn't back down, even though he was literally... In your face, did you ever feel threatened during that interview?
0: Well, you know, this occurs to me as we transfer from, we transition from Scully to McMahon. Those are two very different Vinces. (laughs) One is, of course, he preferred to go by Vin, but his given name was Vincent Edward Scully. Uh, One, the most gracious (laughs) man you could ever meet, the other, the most volatile man you could ever (laughs) cross paths with. Uh, And yeah, Vince McMahon got very upset at my line of questioning. Uh, And he was in my face. And some people wondered if I felt threatened. Maybe I'm just dense. I didn't. I knew what he was trying to do. He certainly was trying to intimidate me. He's a very imposing figure. And it was live and HBO, no commercials. It was scheduled for 15 minutes, but the producers in my ear going, keep going, keep going, because it was great television. I wasn't trying to provoke him, and I wasn't trying to create anything, but it's what just kind of naturally happened organically happened out of the line of questioning and his response to it. Um, And people, as witness your question, some 20 years later, they still talk about it. So (laughs) I guess it struck a chord with people.
1: Uh, You've talked about this before, but apparently the night of the O.J. Bronco chase, O.J. or Al Collings apparently tried to call you, but they couldn't track you down. You were busy. You were doing things. And you did end up visiting O.J., I think, in prison before the trial?
0: Yeah of the 1994 NBA Finals between the Rockets and the Knicks at Madison Square Garden. So we were doing the pregame and halftime stuff from the Garden rather than from the studio in New York. And who knows what O.J.'s state of mind was while he's part of that low-speed uh, Bronco chase down the 405 in L.A. And by that time, everybody knows uh, that he's they're seeking his arrest and he is... Uh, He's fled, at least for the time being. He's going to be charged with a double murder. Everybody is watching this Greek tragedy play out on national television. Every network is covering it. And we're doing a split-screen thing, at least part of the time. I mean, after all, you couldn't abandon the live coverage of the NBA Finals. So Dick Ebersole had to make a decision, president of NBC Sports, how will we do this? We can't ignore or shortchange either. So occasionally I was transitioning between Marv Albert calling the game and Tom Brokaw in the studio. And sometimes they had a, a split screen, and other times they'd go to the game. And then during a commercial break, they'd kind of, or a timeout in the game, they'd kind of revisit what was happening in the Bronco chase. Now, while all of this is unfolding, unbeknownst to me, who knows what OJ's state of mind was? But he had my number in St. Louis, and he's not thinking that I'm doing the basketball game. Who knows what he's thinking? Right. So he calls, and there's nobody there. And he also had the number in the studio because he and I were the hosts of the NFL show from the same studio where we did the NBA show. Yep. But there's no one there because we're doing it from the site. So he calls that number, and it rings and rings. And finally, somebody picks up, some tech guy uh, who just happened to be the only person there. Is Bob Costas there? No, he's not here. I have to speak to him right away. Well, he's not here. i got to speak to him right away. Who's calling? O.J. Simpson. Yeah, right. Click. The guy <laughs> hangs up on him. I don't know anything about this until uh, I go to visit O.J. in the L.A. County Jail in November of 1994. The trial didn't start until a few months later. And it's an awkward situation because as the facts are playing out, it's pretty clear that he's involved. It's not good for him. And it's a, a horrible tragedy. Um So you're making small talk to the extent that you can. This is a man who had been my friend. I'd played golf with him. I'd been on the set with him. Uh, I liked him. Gone to dinner with him many times. Uh, And here we are. Uh, Me, Robert Kardashian, and A.C. Cowlings on the other side of the glass from O.J. And then A.C. just says, you know, we tried to call you from the back of the Bronco. And then the whole story kind of unfolds. And what O.J. was thinking at the time was... That he was getting a bad rap in the press, not so much as it pertained to the crime, but the way he felt he was being portrayed as a person uh, throughout his life, and he thought in his state of mind that maybe a friendly voice could uh, put a different spin on it. Now, obviously, he wasn't thinking rationally, and if we had connected wow. at that point, uh, it would have been my responsibility, despite the fact that he was my friend, to as delicately as possible ask the appropriate questions, how he would have responded, I don't know. And part of it would have been to try and do the same thing that the police guys who were on the phone with him were doing. O.J., no matter what, put the gun down. Think about your children. Think about your mother. If you're innocent, you'll have a chance to defend yourself in court. Put the gun down and give up peacefully. That's what anybody would have done, Uh, but it never came to pass. If it had come to pass, I guess it would have been... um, in some sense, one of the most memorable moments in
1: television history, but it didn't happen. Um, Your expert opinion I need right now, here in Las Vegas, Bob, we've got pro football, hockey, the WNBA, as you know. Are the Oakland A's just using us as leverage to, to build that new waterfront stadium in Oakland? I mean, it seems obvious that that is what they've been doing.
0: Well, there's always a leverage situation when franchises either move or threaten so that's certainly part of the game. But that, that project seems like it's not going to ever get off the ground. Um, meanwhile, the A's are just tanking now. I mean, they used to be famous. They're the moneyball team. They used to be famous for figuring out how to contend despite limited resources. Now they might as well just have a white flag waving instead of an A's pennant over the ballpark. <laughs> yeah. you know, uh, it's, the stands are empty. Uh, the players are still yeah. putting out an effort, but you know' they're, they're under demand, and that's often, that's often what happens before uh, a franchise relocates. They just kind of uh, help to create a case that we don't have the support here, partly because the team is so bad that nobody wants to come out and, and pay for tickets. So I think, uh, and I'm not you know, involved moment to moment, so I don't have the pulse of the entire thing, but I think there is actually a good possibility. That uh, they wind up in Las Vegas. Wow! But I would think that you have to have you have to have a retractable dome stadium. You that, know, like they have in Arizona, it's just too damn hot. Yeah,
1: it's in the uh, it's, like, that's it's part depressing. of the that is definitely part of the plan. Well, back on the record returns September ninth on HBO with Bob Costas with a great lineup of guests, Nick Saban, Renee Montgomery, and Larry Fitzgerald. Bob, always a pleasure, always an honor. Uh, Take care. It was great talking to you again. Thank you, Jim. Just fascinating interactions Bob had with Vince McMahon, OJ Simpson, and I was very happy to hear his comments that the door isn't quite closed yet on Las Vegas getting the Oakland A's. It makes sense. Their minor league team is here, and they get bigger crowds than the A's do. And to remember, Bob has hosted seven Super Bowls and was the play-by-play voice of seven World Series and ten NBA Finals. To say he's done it all is an understatement. That finishes this episode of The Fake Show podcast. Thanks so much for stopping by. I'm Jim Tofte. I'll see you next time.
0: Listen to The Fake Show anywhere on SoundCloud, Stitcher,
1: iTunes, and thefakeshow.com.